Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi guys and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show, episode 18. Um, Today what I am going to address is something that I have touched upon briefly in other episodes, but um, really it's a good thing for any of my readers who are single or contemplating becoming single and re-entering the dating market. And the topic is signs to tell, that isn't English, (laughs) signs to help you tell, signs to tell you that your potential partner or current partner is not going to like sex after marriage and or kids. So this is a pretty important topic because people are all the time saying to me in couples counseling, I didn't know. I had no red flags. How could I possibly have known that this person who evidenced like 10 out of 10 of the red flags that I'm going to tell you about um, would ever stop liking sex with me? And they don't understand why this has happened. It's a source of tremendous sorrow and anger and distress, sometimes even divorce. And um, they really have no idea why and how to look for this. Now, let me just say that, again, I have said this before, but when people stop liking sex after marriage and kids, this is not a bait and switch. We are not in Grimm's fairy tale. Nobody is trying to get you. Nobody is trying to ruin your life. Women do not need to get a man hooked in with sex in this day and age. Um, There are a million reasons that people stop liking sex after marriage, and none of them is that they are out to destroy your life and are just a cold and callous, horrible, evil person. All right, so with that out of the way, then let's go to number one. So number one in the signs that your partner will stop enjoying sex after marriage and or kids is a decrease in sex drive within the first few months. Now, this seems like it's painfully obvious, and who wouldn't be able to tell that that's a sign? Well, I'll tell you, people bury their head in the sand when they really like somebody. So they later go back and they say, oh, yeah, you know what? I noticed that there's a decrease in sex drive, but I figured that that is because, and then they insert their excuse here. Because he got a new job, because she moved um, in with her parents, because he got, you know, uh, sick for a few weeks. It's some, you know, bullshit, bullshit. People make things up. If there is a decrease in sex drive within the first few months, it's never going to go back. It is only going one direction, down. Number two, I talk about this a lot because it seems like no one else does. So it's a public service announcement. General squeamishness. If your partner is squeamish, if they don't like disgusting things and there's a lot of things that they find disgusting, 
then this means that after the hormones wear off of the honeymoon stage, you and your genitals are going to be considered another disgusting thing. They are not going to like to kiss, especially with tongue. They are in no way going to like to have oral sex. They probably won't want oral sex even done to them. And they are just really not going to like touching, seeing, smelling, looking at, tasting, anything that they don't already like. And that's not going to be a lot of stuff. So signs about squeamishness, about uh, sensory Stimuli in general include being like a really picky eater, thinking that lots of things smell bad, um, needing to shower immediately because they feel weird after they sweat for a little bit or something. They need to shower right after sex. Um, Just like thinking a lot of things are disgusting. I mean, if you know this, if, if you see it, and if this is your partner, you definitely know what I am talking about. Also, if there's um, specifically if they're squeamish around sex is like a no brainer. If they avert their eyes during kissing scenes, if they think that sex scenes are gross, if they say things like, why do I have to see that? If they are disgusted by other people's public displays of affection and say, like, get a room, ew, gross. You know, this is the these are all signs. I'm not saying that you are supposed to have known this. I'm saying for the future, this is something to be aware of. All right, number three, inability to discuss sex. Now, this isn't like, you may think this is cute when you're like 20 years old, if your 20-year-old girlfriend doesn't like to talk about sex. It's going to be, you know, about half as cute when she's twice as old. So when she's 40, actually, it'll be a lot less than half as cute. It won't be cute at all. It'll be zero cute because you are going to be trying to say, hey, we haven't had sex in like three weeks and is there and what and could. And she's going to be like, um, you know, I don't like to talk about this. You know, you're making me uncomfortable. You know, I don't really like to talk about this. And she's going to be right because you do know because she was always this way. She always couldn't stand to talk about sex. This means that she also doesn't want dirty talk, but it also means she doesn't want to talk about the facts of sex in any way, even probably down to um, what you could try or when you could have it or anything. So like, for example, if you want to go on a vacation, but everybody's going. So, you know, you're 25 years old. You're an idiot because everybody's an idiot around 25 years old. And so you want to go on this big group trip and you, but there's no bedroom. Everybody's sleeping on the floor. And you say something to your girlfriend like, oh, but, you know, I I don't want to not have sex for like, you know, five days. And she's like, oh, come on. Oh, God. Oh, I don't want, you know, oh, we don't want to talk about that. That's a bad sign. It's a bad sign when you're 25, but you get a free pass because you were, 25. If you're 45 and your girlfriend says the same thing, then you don't have any more excuse, especially because you just listened to this podcast. So it's a bad sign if you are trying to talk about when, how, logistics, preferences, anything, and she doesn't want to talk about it or he doesn't want to talk about it. Bad sign. Moving on to number four, we have no preferences or fantasies. So if you're always trying to talk to your partner about their preferences in bed or their fantasies and they have none, well, this is not a good sign for having a high sex drive after marriage. 
in fact, I talk more about this in terms of uh, women having no preferences or fantasies because they really don't think about sex much. This is in the context in a previous podcast of how to actually get your existing current wife to want to have sex with you and to open up about sex. But if somebody has no preferences or fantasies in the dating stage, you heard it here first, it's not going to get better. It is, you can work on it if you're already married to a person with any of these, you know, squeamishness, no talking about sex, whatever, any of the things that I'm talking about here as red flags, if you're already married to this person, you can work on it. You can work on it in therapy. You can work on it by reading, by sharing this podcast, by doing whatever else. But I'm telling you, don't go into dating somebody like with a definite different sex drive than you if sex is super important to you and so these are the red flags and no preferences or fantasies does indicate that somebody really does not think about sex much and does not prioritize it and you do not want to be with that person if you are a very different kind of person and if this is going to make you sad forever next one is no masturbation a lot of low low libido people don't masturbate then their higher libido partner feels gaslighted. They feel like it's impossible that somebody would never masturbate. Well, no, it's not. It's just the way that lower libido people are. They just don't masturbate, especially women. And some of this is that women are taught that it's dirty, but more of it is that they don't really have a high sex drive. So they don't need to masturbate. They don't think about masturbating, so they don't do it. So if you want a long-term high sex drive partner, do not get somebody who has never masturbated. This is important. Number six, making fun of sex. Now, this is important because not only does it mean that the person has a lower sex drive than you, but also is a canary in the coal mine here about their personality. If somebody minimizes stuff that's important to you, you do not need that, right? That is something that's going to set this relationship up to fail. So if somebody thinks like that you're like an animal and like, like you don't really need to have sex and makes fun of that as a need, that is not good and that is an indicator that later on they're going to mock you about other things that you find imp- important. Now, specifically when women act like guys are animals and they just want one thing and they're predators, they usually got that negative attitude about sex from their family of origin and it's not going anywhere and you are probably not going to be the man who convinces them that sex is good or that men are good. Do not put that burden on yourself. Okay, let somebody else deal with that. Or let the woman work it out for herself in therapy after many relationships go sideways. Okay. Seven. If you are surprised by their parents' dynamic and they aren't. Okay. So like if you visit your, your uh, partner's family and the mom and the dad never touch, never kiss, and you think that's weird because you grew up in a family where the mom and dad did touch and kiss and the partner never mentions it as weird and says that they had a good marriage, well, guess what? That's what they think a good marriage is. People that don't touch, don't kiss. If you mention something like, do you think that your parents were intimate, you know, throughout their life, which are questions that people should ask. In fact, I would say, and I'm just realizing this in real time right now, that if there was any question that I could tell people to ask a spouse to determine whether they are going to be a good fit for you sexually, 
if you want somebody sexually open, this is, I would say ask that question. Do you think that your parents were physically and sexually intimate throughout their life? If they're like, ew, no, gross, I don't know, why are you asking that? That's so weird. That's such a weird question. How would I know? If they say stuff like that, that is not a person who is open to talking about so many things. This is why it's a, such a good question. This is like, and I'm going to patent this question as, a, as a, a way to tell so much about your partner in just one question. It's like a Rorschach. Because if they make fun of the question or they think the question is stupid or they refuse to answer the question, not only does it indicate that they do not really prioritize thinking about sex, but they don't prioritize thinking about themselves. They don't prioritize thinking about their family. They don't deal well with sensitive topics. They don't like uncomfortable uh, questions. If you really prioritize physical and emotional intimacy, especially if you're old enough to be listening to me, which very few people in their 20s are, with the exception of possibly a few of my clients, um, then you're going to want somebody who can talk about hard or uncomfortable things. So you should never marry somebody. If you want like an active sex life and to be able to talk to somebody about anything and they refuse to answer a question like that or think that you're weird for asking it, then, you know, you, that's the wrong person, you know, and any question that puts somebody in a position where they have to think about something that they don't usually think about could be equally good, but I just happen to think about this one right now, and it also, by the way, indicates a real high probability for that this person just learned that marriage does not include sex, and it's really hard to unlearn what you learn. So if your parents don't have sex, that and you never think about it, and you never try to be different, then you will likely be in a sexless marriage yourself. Because that's what you think marriage is. So by the way, if this is making you think, holy shit, are my kids going to end up in sexless marriages, then you could use this as a wake-up call because, yeah, it is more likely that your kids are going to end up in unhappy marriages of any sort if they grow up seeing a marriage that's unhappy in that regard. The only... um, way to counteract this is to really introspect and think deeply about your family, yourself, your values, and who you are and who you want to be. So my question about the parents having sex is also good because it indicates that if somebody can answer that question and finds it interesting, then they're a person who likes to introspect about themselves. So a, a so so basically I'm saying the parents don't have to have sex or they could have sex. But here would be an example of a good answer that would um, be linked to later marital satisfaction in my mind, at least in this domain of emotional and physical intimacy, a good answer would be, no, my parents really never did touch at all, you know, and it was only later that I realized how strange that was. And when I was, you know, younger, I used to think I never want to get into a marriage that's like theirs because they don't really seem to love each other in that way. And so that's why in my marriage, I want to prioritize sex and physical touching. That would be a great answer. And that person's parents didn't have sex, but they thought about it enough so that they don't want to replicate it. And therefore, they're at a lower likelihood of replicating it because they are cognizant of the risk of subconsciously replicating it. So you see my point here. All right. So 
Number eight, bad body image. Many, if not most women, would change something about their bodies if they could. And uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who really thinks that they are really deeply unattractive um, to a point that they think that they are unlovable and they want to keep the lights off all the time and they just really think that they're ugly. And this is a sad situation and many guys want to be the white knight who helps this woman realize how beautiful she is. But again... Like, this is hard to do. Like, it's hard to change who people are. So if somebody has terrible body image and really never wants you to see them naked, this isn't going to get better when you love them more. You can't love them out of their bad body image. So this would be a red flag for somebody who is going to remain very deeply uncomfortable with their body and with intimacy in general. Uh, Nine, the woman never has an orgasm. So, yeah, like women say frequently to get the man off their case, I'm fine, I don't need to come, I just like to be close, but, you know, there's only so long that she's going to want to keep doing that. When there's no reward for an activity, even mice in a lab know to stop doing the activity. So the woman is not getting any reward besides, quote, closeness, you know, from, I mean, that, that shit is not going to last after the honeymoon stage. So if a woman does not get off during your sexual encounters, this is a red flag. It's also a red flag for you because it's probable that she has a physical capacity to orgasm, but you have not figured it out and she is not helping you. So the both of you need more direct communication and for her orgasm to be at least a goal for, for her. Now, if she continues to say, I don't come, I never come, I don't really know, maybe I did sometime, that's like my favorite way to tell if a woman's never had an orgasm, if she's like, I think I might have, well, no, then you didn't because you would know. (laughs) So if she says that she thinks she might have, then she didn't. And the last one, number 10, is... If you know that you have a tendency to idealize partners and put your head in the sand, I mean, then you're doing that here. And people are not stupid. You know, if I give you a million dollars to tell the truth on whether or not you just, you know, put women slash men on a pedestal and let them get away with some shit and your friends and family have told you that you do this and you had to say and I said do you do this and you got a million dollars to tell me the right answer most people would say yeah if they do they would say yeah I do I tend to idealize partners and I tend to ignore flaws and I tend to be in love with love and I tend to then have to deal with a lot of problems later on that I ignored for longer than I should have. If you are that personality type, then you can work on that in therapy, by the way. You can work on continually ignoring problems and ignoring red flags until they turn into something, you know, really bad. And if you know that you're that kind of person, then it is likely that you are ignoring red flags in this arena as well as probably other arenas. So you know kind of Because so many people tell me this. First, it's like different stages that you go through. It's like I say, oh, well, how long did you realize that your partner, you know, and you had different sex drives? They're like, oh, no, at the beginning it was fine. And then later on we talk more. They're like, well, you know, there were certain things that were always different. And then they're like, well, you know, I really thought that it would change after marriage. 
And then it's like, well, you know, I thought it would change after marriage, you know, but then it didn't. But then I was thinking that maybe I didn't have to be so sexual or I didn't really have to care or uh, maybe somehow masturbation would be good enough for me. Like, you know, people just ignore stuff for years and years and years. Now, this should not be you. Everybody deserves to be in a happy marriage. You know, nobody really deserves to be in a sexless marriage if they prioritize sex. So, Again, this uh, podcast episode was geared toward people who are trying to prevent themselves from getting into a sexless relationship. But if you're already in one, then there are things to be done that involve working on it. You can't really ignore it and then somehow hope for it to get better. That never works. You've been doing that already. If ignoring a problem made it go away, then, you know, you would already have made this problem go away and you've not. So therapy can really help. And again, if you go to couples counseling, you want to go with somebody who specifically is sex positive and will address your sex life in concert with other issues, not somebody who thinks that your sex life will magically improve if your communication improves in other domains because it doesn't. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. But people could get super good at emotional communication and still have a shit sex life. And if you're in a relationship like this or you've been through more traditional couples counseling, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. All the I statements in the world do not make your partner more receptive to your advances sexually. So that is the truth. And so you need to find somebody who is sex positive and who will address sex directly if you are in a sexless or, uh, you know, low sex or bad sex relationship. Relationship is, is different. If it's a relationship of a few months, don't stay. It will not improve. Hopefully you got that from this podcast. But if you're in a marriage, then, you know, you have to work on it. You have to at least try. And so you need to try with the help of somebody who is trained and skilled in the area that you need help in. If that's sex, then sex. If it's anything else, anything else. All right, guys. Hopefully you got a lot out of this. I liked recording it. And I am visualizing you sharing this with your partner and using it to open up a discussion um, if you are in a situation where sex is less than ideal. And also, please do suggest other podcast episodes for me. I like to take your suggestions and I like to talk about whatever you need help with. Thanks so much and talk to you soon.